As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I was willing to lose an election to protect our children, our staff, and our community. So I have no, no regrets. How can we bring kids who are not getting those basic services? How do we get them up to speed? And the, you know, the, the COVID policies made that worse here in Waukesha. No longer an order, but a suggestion. The Supreme Court decision certainly uh, is a step backwards. We're encouraging people all across the state to continue doing what they've been doing, and that's wearing a mask, staying socially distant. I don't believe it's the right of the government to mandate a one-size-fits-all approach when we've seen declining cases, increasing vaccines, and hopefully over time we'll see more freedom. A wave of school board changes during the pandemic, the state Supreme Court overturns Wisconsin's mask mandate, and what this year's budget season means for you. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. Brian Polson is on assignment. We are recording this episode Thursday, April 8th. And I'm here with Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi. Hi, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, Jason, we have a political roundup of sorts today. Let's start with the newest issue, school board races. Not usually the hot topics in local elections. I know I was talking to some of my neighbors and a lot of them were saying, usually I can't even name people who are on the ballot for school board. This year was a bit different. So what happened? Well, there was a lot of attention on schools because... Schools, there was a big debate nationwide, statewide, and in our communities. What should happen with schools? Should they be open in the midst of the pandemic? Should they be fully virtual? Should there be a hybrid? Should there, what should happen with the schools? It was very controversial. Um, the, you know, the backstory on this was back in March of 2020, the state had shut down schools at the beginning of the pandemic. And then uh, there was the Supreme Court ruling striking down Safer at Home in May of 2020. But they had one little footnote in that ruling that said, this ruling striking down Safer at Home does not apply to shutting down schools. So the schools remained shut down for the, the rest of that school year. And then during the summer, as, you know, as school boards across the state were really struggling with what to do and listening to the science and listening to the teachers and listening to the parents and, and trying to figure out what to do, there was just a lot of struggle and strife and controversy. And really this boiled over where you saw some school districts did maintain a hybrid model or a, a virtual model. Others decided to go fully in person. And so... Some of the parents in school districts, which, uh, for example, in Oak Creek, Franklin and uh, in Waukesha and in various other places, in Wauwatosa, uh, where you saw parents kind of forming groups online, meeting on, on social media to try to really 
figure out how to get their kids back in class. And I know, Amanda, you've talked with a lot of parents about, about this issue, both pro and con. There's, there's a whole segment of parents out there that wanted to have school be virtual. There was another big, huge segment that was adamant that school needed to be in person. Um, and, and I don't know if you want to say anything more about what you heard from, from your interviews there, but uh, there's just so much controversy on whether the schools should open. And, and, and you know, we've seen recently we've seen the science showing, um, you know, that, that it would be safe to, to keep kids in school and, and that there wasn't a lot of examples of spread uh, amongst uh, students in, in the classroom setting. Um, so these are sorts of things that have been part of the fabric of this debate. And one of the things we saw was this was uh, the first uh, election here in April 2021, where you saw all of these school board races. These are nonpartisan races across the state of Wisconsin happening uh, just this week. And you saw in many instances, for example, in Waukesha, in Oak Creek, Franklin, uh, in other in, in Oconomowoc, in other uh, jurisdictions where you saw school board members, incumbent school board members, um, being uh, losing their re-election campaigns and outsiders or not outsiders, but newcomers to uh, politics were elected. In, 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 for example, in Oak Creek, Franklin, I, I talked with one of the moms there who was one of the organizers driving uh, this effort to really oust the, the uh, incumbent members of the school board in Oak Creek, Franklin. And, and she said, you know, they were just really upset about, about their decision to uh, not fully open in the fall. Uh, and, and they wanted to really get rid of those people and, and bring in some, some fresh blood, uh, some, some fresh vision to, uh, and also what they said was to ha have members of the school board that would listen to the parents and, and try to uh, in, uh, enact policies uh, that the, the parents would support. So that's, that's one issue that we saw playing out in yesterday's uh, election, or this week's election, where you saw these incumbents losing races. And, and one of the, another big race I didn't mention was in Wausau, where you had Trisha Zunker. Uh, she was the school board president there, and she lost her, her re-election race. Uh, she has uh, some national attention because she ran for Congress. Uh, she ran for Congress, and so here she is not even winning her school board race in Wausau. Again, you know, a lot of anger towards closing of schools or keeping schools shut down really played out this week. But at the same time, I want to say there were several, you know, there were just as many examples of incumbents winning in the state of Wisconsin. So there were targeted efforts, in, in like I said, in Waukesha, in Oak Creek, Franklin, there were these concentrated efforts organizations, grassroots organizations uh, organizing from the parents, uh, and they really were able to succeed in getting the incumbents removed from the school board. But there were other places like Elmbrook. Uh, I know the Republican Party of Waukesha County did invest in some mailers supporting uh, the newcomer candidate in the Elmbrook school district, and he lost. You know, there's many examples of the incumbents uh, maintaining their seats, but still enough issues here to bring it up and, and say there, that this is an issue for uh, for the state to look at here. Well, and I know when I talk to some of these parents who were really driving the push for change, their frustration is they feel like sometimes they get painted as COVID deniers, right? And so their whole thing, a lot of these parents uh, have children who have struggled with mental health issues during the pandemic and during virtual learning. Their parents who have seen their children's grades drop uh, and, and essentially 
when everything shut down in the spring, some of them said they basically saw their kids go six months with no formal education. So what these parents tell me at least is, hey, we're not saying swing the doors open to the school with zero mitigation factors and zero anything. What they were upset about was they felt like in some of these districts, they were under the impression they were going back, you know, five days a week face-to-face learning. And then they felt like at the last minute, the rug was pulled out from underneath them. And now they were going to go do hybrid learning. And again, talking to some of these parents, and this isn't the view of every parent, but talking to some of these parents who have been behind these pushes for change at the school board level, one mom told me, she said, I think virtual is bad. I think you could make the case that hybrid is worse. And that's really what got a lot of these parents going because it's lack of consistency for their kids, right? Some days you're in school, some days you're not. And then, you know, school shuts down for two weeks and goes fully virtual because there's an outbreak. And then your kid has to go into quarantine because they were exposed to someone. So with their kids going back and forth, the frustration just really seemed to build. Um, and so that's that's what a lot of those parents have said, you know, their their perspectives are. But you're right, Jason, there are a lot of families. I, I talked to one student a little while ago who said she's like, look, both my parents are high risk. So even though my school district gave us the option to go back, I chose to remain fully virtual, even though that's not my style of learning, because I don't want to bring this home to my family. And there are a lot of families who have been in that boat. So when you, and so that people listening to this know, because not everyone realizes this, the way the school hierarchy works is you have your superintendent who is, you know, looking at the data and enacting policies, but hit the superintendent's boss, his or her boss is the school board. So the superintendent is then presenting this to the board and the board is the one that is voting on do we do hybrid? Do we do virtual? Do we go back full-time in person? Do we give parents the option? Um, some school districts like West Bend, right from the start of the of the fall 2020, 2021 school year, presented all three options to parents. And so the school board is the one that's really making those final decisions informed by the superintendent. Sometimes they're on the same page, sometimes they're not. And so that's why there's been, um, you know, such a such a push to focus on school board. But I going to some of these meetings recently, um, they're pretty full. I mean, whether it's full virtually or in person, you know, different districts have different methods uh, to keep things safe during the pandemic. But I talked to a lot of parents there who said, I never went to a school board meeting before. And now I, I make sure I at least watch every single one. So I do think there is a renewed level of community involvement here. Yeah. I mean, you, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, there, it, people realize you know, uh, Tip O'Neill, the former Speaker of the House, said all politics uh, are, are local, right? Uh, and you see that, you know, all of these issues are playing out at the super local level, which is your school board, right? I mean, th- that's incredible what, you, what, you, what, what what's going on is that people are getting engaged and they're saying, I want to make a difference. So you did see people running for school board who maybe never were involved with politics ever, ever before, but they said, you know, I see 
the value in what's happening at the very local level, my own school board, and I want to make a difference. And, and I want to go back to what you were talking about is, as far as the you know, pros and the cons and of schools reopening fully. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been looking at, I know you've been looking at, is the uh, academic progress of students in the midst of this you know, virtual or hybrid model of schooling. And, and I, I know that the rates have been in Milwaukee have been pretty high on the failure rate. I think we were reporting what it was like 30% of high school students failed. More than that, but that that's to come in a future story. <laughs> okay. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to break the scoop here, but, uh, and if I revealed too much, then, then let's cut that out. But... <laughs> no, but I mean, it is, and, and we have been tracking and we have been reporting kind of day to day. A lot of these parent groups actually got together. They filed their own open records requests, in some cases paying hundreds of dollars to get these records, which is a whole different issue. And um, to find out how GPA was doing and the percent of students who were failing one or more classes. And seeing that drop off in this school year really concerned some parents. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that drop off. And you know, that's kind of what we're what we're exploring coming up here. Um, so it's not just a matter of schools being face to face or not, but it has energized parents. It has mobilized parents to say, hey, and a lot of them are telling me we can disagree about what the best route is for the kids. But at some level, I think people want to feel like they're being heard. And same with the students I've been talking to. And, uh, you know, I think many of them just feel like they haven't been. And and that's what we saw reflected in this most recent election. And and that was at the, you know, the local level. We saw, you know, some of the, the incumbents being, being ousted, some maintained their seats. But at the statewide level, I think it is important to say that the, um, you know, the, the, the person, Deb Kerr, uh, she was one who one of her key platform items was schools need to reopen immediately. She did lose statewide. Now, she was backed by the conservatives um, and, and she called herself a pr- pragmatic uh, a Democrat. But she was backed by the conservatives and the school voucher supporters and, and groups like that and Republicans as well. But the one who won the race was Jill Underly, who was backed by the teachers unions. And um, and, and she won, you know, 58 percent, which is on par for for um for the the department of public construction the superintendent of public construction for the state of wisconsin so again you know this idea of schools reopening deb kerr did make it the uh, focus of her campaign and, and she lost so i don't know what how how we can make sense of this all other than say wisconsin's always a mixed bag we have you know a conservative senator and a progressive senator we have you know progressive members of the supreme court and then the next year we'll elect a conservative so it's really a mixed bag here in wisconsin and you saw that at the local level and then at the state level you saw competing priorities uh, voted into office yes this week speaking of the supreme court let's talk about masks we had a big decision from the state supreme court last week jason that's right. So the, the issue was, can the governor of Wisconsin issue multiple 60-day health emergencies in the midst of this pandemic? So state law is very clear. A governor can issue an emergency. You know, think about disasters, the wildfires. He, he just issued a, a wildfire emergency. So he can issue these emergencies. He has the power to do that for 60 days. It's a 60-day emergency. And then after that, it would need to be extended or it could be revoked before that by the legislature. 
So in this case, Governor Evers has issued multiple 60-day emergencies. His first was in March 2020. And then since then, they have issued multiple health emergencies lasting 60 days. And then, you know, the next one was issued and then the next one, the next one. And then since the summer, since August 1st was when the, was when the state used that health emergency, the governor issued, used that health emergency to mandate masks. Um, so this whole issue of emergency powers with the mask mandate was all tied in with what the Supreme Court decided. And what they said was, no, the, the governor can only issue one emergency in the midst of this pandemic, uh, in this occurrence of what we're seeing with COVID-19. He has that power to issue it for 60 days, and then after that, it has to be extended by the legislature. That's what the Wisconsin Supreme Court decided. Now, the Evers administration had said, no, uh, you know, they had argued in court what was happening here was that the circumstances had evolved so much that the governor, each time he was issuing a new emergency, he wasn't issuing it to a static situation, a static disaster, but this was an evolved and a changed situation in Wisconsin. And the Supreme Court wasn't convinced by that. And so at the end of the day, the state did, uh, the, the Supreme Court did strike down the health emergency. And, and also that includes, the, that is the basis for the mask mandate. So right now, Wisconsin is not under a mask mandate. But at the same time, there are local ordinances. So for example, there's an ordinance in Wauwatosa, there's one in Milwaukee, there's one in Shorewood, there's these municipalities who have their own ordinances on the books. Uh, of course, businesses are continuing to, to require patrons to mask up. And that's what we saw before the governor's mask mandate went into effect in August of 2020. You saw the businesses, you saw those big box stores like Costco and Menards and other places asking patrons to mask up, you know, the barbers and the bars and the restaurants asking you to please put on the mask before entering. So that's where we are right now. The businesses are continuing to, to require that if they would like. And then at the same time, you see these local ordinances, ordinances in place as well. Um, so just check, you know, pretty much uh, it, it is a mixed bag. Uh, it's a patchwork of different rules across the state uh, now under this new situation after the Supreme Court's ruling. Well, and the timing of this ruling was very interesting and, and has been getting a lot of attention over the past couple days. That's right. So what happened with with this health emergency is uh, it, it is tied in with federal food aid money, food stamp money. So, uh, the, you know, we've had a bunch of these federal COVID relief laws that have passed uh, in the last year. And part of that is expanded uh, food stamp money, food share money that's coming into Wisconsin families, getting them up to the max allotment. Um, so we're talking about a couple hundred dollars extra a month for families uh, across the state of Wisconsin, those extra dollars are adding up to roughly or roughly uh, fifty million dollars a month in extra food stamp money for for poor families and, and poor people in Wisconsin. In order to qualify for those extended food stamp benefits here in Wisconsin, the state does need to have uh, a health emergency on the books. That's one of the qualifications to receive that extra money. So without having the Food, uh, the health emergency on the books, it's no longer qualifying for that $50 million a month. Now, just yesterday, the Department of Health Services came out and said that this actually will go into effect in May. So right now, we're in April. The state is receiving those extra dollars for, for food stamp recipients in Wisconsin. But starting May, 
those families will no longer see the, those extra dollars. They'll just be at the, the lower uh, portion of funds that are coming to them for food stamps. And what the Department of Health Services said yesterday is if the Supreme Court ruling would have happened uh, on April 1st, then the state would have received these funds not only for April, but then also through the whole month of May. So just by that ruling coming out uh, one day earlier, it means that the state will now see that money, won't, won't see that money coming in starting uh, next month, May. I think the timing of this ruling is also interesting because the, uh, the case was actually heard back in November, if I'm remembering correctly. And we've seen this Yeah, we've seen the state Supreme Court come back pretty quickly with rulings on some of these pandemic issues, and they sat on this one for a while. And in November, we were having a pretty big spike in COVID-19 cases. So I find it interesting that they waited until, you know, end of March when the vaccine rollout was well underway to basically come out with this ruling. It makes me wonder if, you know, from a legal sense, they felt strongly about overturning this, but from a practical sense, they were kind of trying to wait things out. Amanda, I have been asking people all the whole, you know, since, I mean, this, you, you're right. Oral arguments were in November. It was such a, a, a watched case that expected the decision would come soon. Um, and again, it was November, December, January, February, March, you know, now, and we're talking about many months we were waiting for this ruling to come out. And then finally it came in the midst of, you know, now, you know, more than a million uh, residents have been vaccinated in Wisconsin, right? So those those numbers keep increasing every day. Uh, And I asked people, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? And and you're right. I mean, some of the speculation from, from legal scholars and others that are watching this case was, Maybe they, again, what you suggested was they, they wanted to uh, to wait till those numbers were, those vaccination numbers were, were improving and and, uh, and case counts were going down at some point. And so maybe that was why they waited so long. Who knows? Uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know, but that's some of the speculation that you're hearing out there. Let's talk about the budget. It's budget season, uh, which... You know, if you're not a political reporter, maybe doesn't (laughs) excite you as much. Um, But this is pretty interesting because this is budget season one year into the pandemic. So, Jason, what does that look like? Well, it's I mean, some of it's going to look a a little bit like we've seen in the past. So there's going to be public hearings and that'll there'll be three of them in person. Um, and so the public can come out and comment on what they want to see the priorities be in the budget. Um, the governor has introduced his plan, and really what's going to happen is the, um, the legislature is going to just rewrite that. So it's a two-year budget here in Wisconsin. Uh, so this will, um, this will get us through two years. Uh, and this is really the focus of the legislative year this year is on the budget, I mean, is, is crucial. So why is this so important? I mean, the budget is... The framework for, you know, think about funding for schools. We just were talking about schools, right? So funding of schools, funding of roads, funding of bridges, funding of transportation projects, uh, funding of, of all of the different things that the government is involved with we're talking about here. Uh, and again, I think one of the key points after our conversation earlier is the funding of schools, right? So all of these things will play out in the budget process. Uh, I mean, there's also other things that are 
in the budget process, like the governor was introducing through this budget, using the budget to um, legalize uh, marijuana usage in the state of Wisconsin. That was pretty much dismissed by the Republicans. They, they said there's no appetite for that amongst the Republicans in the legislature. But Governor Evers wanted to use the budget process to legalize marijuana usage so it would be similar to alcohol. So it would be you know, highly regulated, but at the same time allowed in Wisconsin, like we're seeing in our neighboring state of Illinois, where they, they legalize it. And he was suggesting that that would bring, you know, lots of money into the state and, um, and other things, but that's not going to happen. So long story short, you're going to see a Republicans, pretty much Governor Evers introduced his budget and it's uh, a two-year budget, $91 billion. So a ton of cash and Republicans are just going to rewrite it and they control the legislature. The legislature controls the purse string. So this is, uh, this is what they're going to do. And we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. But right now, a key point is there will be some public hearings where you can actually share what you want to happen through this budget, what you'd like to see happen, whether it's you know extra funding for your local school or whether it's funding for, for roads or the other things that the government is involved with. So um, that's going to happen starting uh, with there's going to be... Um, three in-person hearings. The first one's going to be at the, in Whitewater uh, at the university. And then um, there'll be also a virtual option as well. So there'll be one public session that's virtual. And again, these things are going to be mar- marathon sessions, uh, days long, where people are going to come out and talk and, and give, their, give their thoughts on what should happen. And then uh, the Joint Finance Committee, it's a really super powerful committee in Madison of the legislature. They will sort of... Uh, start you know writing and voting this this budget and then uh, it will move on to the legislature likely for votes in the summer june july-ish can i say june july-ish is that a word (laughs) well my next question was if you were a betting man do you think we're going to have an on-time budget oh man i mean it's been such a it's such a contentious time it's it's always contentious right with politics here uh in wisconsin but um I'm not going to bet. I'm, I'm going to, can, can we, can we defer that one to Brian Polson when he comes back? I don't know. I don't know. That might be me letting you off the hook too easy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, be... maybe we'll come back and we'll ask you in a month when we have a, a better <laughs> idea of how this is shaping yeah. up. But at some point before, before we get to that point, I think, I think you need to take your bet, Jason. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, I, maybe I'll, 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 I'll put some money down on it. Uh, that, uh, that we will have a vote in, in Ju- I'll, 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 I'll hedge it. You know, I said June, July-ish. <laughs> well, a vote is different than having an approved budget, though, right? So because the legislature can send it to the governor and the governor can say, nice try, but no. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Nice try. No, I mean, he did accept this the budget last time and he did get pushback from, uh, you know, from some of his fellow Democrats on on agreeing to that budget. Um, will Republicans and the governor reach consensus on this budget? It's it. <laughs> I mean, they're, they've just been all over the place with fighting on every everything this last year, whether it's the, you know, the mask mandate or safer at home, um, you know, what to do with the covid federal cash coming in. So there's, you know, uh, billions of dollars that the, that the state government will have uh, discretionary power over. And Governor Evers issued his plan and Republicans issued their plan. And and uh, I just they, they 
there are some common similar that, that they can agree on some some areas where they can agree on the end of the day right now the governor has you know will have that money Republicans are introducing bills on how they want to see this federal relief money spent. They're going to be passing those bills. They're going to start voting on those bills um, next week. And then the governor will likely veto them because it pretty much dictates how he's supposed to be spending this money. And, uh, you know, governor would like to spend it, his, you know, according to his plan. And then Republicans have suggested that they will then after that, after he vetoes these bills, that they will look at legal options. So potential lawsuits. So again, I mean, right in the middle of this whole discussion of the budget, we're having fights over how to spend federal relief dollars coming into the state. So the possibility of them agreeing on a budget, uh, I guess maybe I'm talking myself into a no here. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We've got to. I, I think I think you've revealed your uh, your your true bet there, Jason. I like to keep the cards close on 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 what I think about things, but. Again, they've they've fought over so much, so it'll be hard to see if they can come up with agreement like they did last time. But it's Wisconsin. Anything's possible. Well, and a, a reminder for those of you listening about how the budget affects you. You know, some of the things that are coming up are, uh, for example, child care funding. Uh, that's been and, and there are issues that have kind of always been around, but they've taken on a different meaning during the pandemic. Right. So I know at one point the Department of Public Instruction was proposing basically fully funding 4K programs and uh, so that you could potentially have more access to full day kindergarten through your public school system. So the, just a lot of different ways that this this budget could affect you. Definitely. It, it, I mean, like we said earlier, all you know, politics are local and and budgets are local. They really do impact so much of of what happens across the state and in our in our backyard and in our lives. And this is the part of the podcast where we go off the record. We're getting a little more personal, having a little more fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. So usually executive producer Sarah Smith joins us and asks us a surprise question, but she's on a much deserved vacation. So instead we have editor extraordinaire Dave Machuda with us this morning. Hey, Dave. Hey, what's up, Fizbos? <laughs> Dave is uh, <laughs> uh, reluctantly in the spotlight for this and I'm enjoying every second of it. So, so Dave, uh, what, 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 I what question do you have for us? It's like I said in before we started recording, it's stupid, but it's pretty nice and straightforward and easy to understand. Would you pay $50,000 to have a perfect body? Um, basically, you'd never have to work out for the rest of your life. You would stay in perfect shape for the rest of your life. You could eat whatever you want for the rest of your life, but you got to pay $50,000. So when you say perfect, bo <laughs> like your body is functioning perfectly as well like it's not like oh it looks perfect but you're gonna you know die at 35 from eating mcdonald's every day no it's 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 mainly it physically fit kind of thing rather than you know looking yeah. perfect i mean that's obviously a side benefit but it's more being physically fit for the rest of your life and you don't have to do anything to get that fifty thousand dollars is a lot of money yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I am in my car right now recording because I've got, you know, the kids are home on spring break right now from school. So it's a little noisy in the house. So I'm recording in, in my in my 
uh, 2007 minivan, and I'm thinking that uh, <laughs> that you know, fifty thousand dollars could go a long way to buying some nice new, you know, some safer and and better cars for the family. So <laughs> I I would think that no, I'm definitely a no vote on this uh, perfect body thing. I mean, here's the thing, you know, there was a time in my life where. You know, I, I spent a lot of time exercising and working out. I love, I mean, I really, I just, I'm thrilled to be able to lift weights and do deadlifts. It's just like a power move where you're lifting lots of weight off the ground and it's just, you feel very strong and it, it's kind of a nice stress reliever and you feel like you're physically fit and all that. And <laughs> then you had children. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I had kids and it's like, I'm going to go for a walk for three minutes. And that's about, that's about the exercise that, that I'm getting right now. So Long story short is I think that, you know, there is a value in the hard work of exercise. And so while I'm not doing what I'd like to do exercise wise right now, I think there is a value and a payoff in actually having the time for mental health and for your, you know, by doing the physical health elements of life. So my vote is no, I would like to spend the $50,000 on new new cars for the family. And I'd rather see myself uh, really struggle with exercise so that I you know, feel like I'm, I'm really, uh, making good use of, of my time and just, uh, you know, I think there's a discipline to it all when you, when you're exercising and, and keeping track of what you're eating and, and drinking and putting into your body and, and all of that. So I think, I think I'd rather see myself live a disciplined life and use that money for some new cars or maybe to, I don't know, fix up the house, <laughs> a podcast <laughs> recording booth in the house yeah, for all your exactly. record appearances. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, Jason. I, now if you were to, as someone who is currently nine months pregnant, um, if you were to ask me if I would pay $50,000 to have a fast and painless labor, then I might <laughs> think seriously about that. If we're talking about our bodies and what our bodies can do. I don't think I'd pay $50,000 for that though. Um, and you know, I think, I think too, it's, I say that with the benefit of having had like decent health, you know, my whole life up until now, I think maybe perspective on that changes, um, depending on, on what you've gone through or what your family history is or whatever that may be. Um, but for me right now, at this point in my life, I would say I would pass. Dave, I want I want to hear your answer on this. <laughs> you guys make me feel bad talking about disciplined life and everything. <laughs> oh, I don't have a disciplined life. I haven't I I haven't exercised in uh, in quite some time, and I have a love for fast food. So um, I I am not leading the the disciplined life that Jason described. I'm just I'm just cheap. Yeah. Oh no, no, me uh, cheap as well. That's why I'm in a 2007 minivan. And second of all, it's not that it's not that, you know, it's not that the discipline life is, is happening. I'm just saying that's my ideal. I want to live it. And there's a joy that there's a, there's a yeah. thrill that comes from living that life. But no, I definitely ate cookies last night. I mean, I'm still celebrating <laughs> Easter. I'm celebrating Easter. I'm going to eat cookies. I'm going to have a glass of wine. Okay. That's it. And I've also, I've got one advantage over both of you is that both of my kids are grown. So if spending $50,000 on myself is that's just the way it goes, you know, it's sorry kids. <laughs> um, but also I, I guess the other part of it is, you know, I would need $50,000 to be able to spend on it. <laughs> First of all, if you had the 50,000 though, is that where you'd spend it? I think I actually would. First of all, because I'm 
so ridiculously out of shape that it would, it would be nice to just flip a switch and get there kind of thing, forget the discipline. Um, and then I also, I mean, originally I was thinking, you know, I'm fairly old. It's kind of stupid to spend, would be stupid to spend that much money to have this perfect body if I can only enjoy it for, you know, half the time that like you guys would or something like that. But then I realized that that's part of, as you get older, that's part of the thing that makes you live longer is being fit and getting out and doing stuff and, and all that type of thing. So that having a fit body would sort of work right into that. Um, so you would think that would be motivation for me <laughs> to work out and eat better, but nah, just I'm just a lazy load. Well, and we're in a pandemic. Like let's 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 cut ourselves and everyone else. Yeah, some. I'll, slack. I'll still be using that. I'll still be using that excuse four years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, if you have a question you'd like to submit for our off the record segment, if you want to suggest a topic we should discuss in the podcast, an issue we should investigate. Please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Jason, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And Dave, thank you for uh, popping in and filling in for Sarah. No problem. And as always, thank you to everyone else who makes this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Suzanne Barthel, Sarah Smith, and of course, Dave Machuda, who you just heard from, is a big part of this too. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.